welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Jean Pileccio. Um, As I explained in the intro, I have been gone for a little bit due to some personal uh, and health issues, uh, but I am back and I'm very, very, very excited to jump back into the world of talking about new theater. Um, also, for those of you watching this episode, uh, the reason I'm wearing these sporty rainbow uh, gaming headsets is because uh, the guest I'm about to talk to is such an amazing person to talk to that I wasted all of my headphone battery in the first 30 minutes of our pre-interview conversation. Uh, so, without further ado, let's bring him on. Uh, we're going to be talking to playwright uh, Michael Buckland. And we are talking about his submission, The Special Relationship. So, Michael, thank you so, so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure, Robert. Uh, it's great to be here. All right. So, in a little bit, as I said, we're going to be talking about The Special Relationship, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, something it something that I don't actually, un- you know, unfortunately, something that is uh, not as common an occurrence anymore, but... Uh, you know, due to us being so spread out with these readings, but this is uh, one of those readings that I was very excited about uh, being able to actually attend and being able to, uh, you know, join in on the feedback and the discussion on it. So um, it's always exciting when I can be in the Zoom where it happens. Um, mm-hmm. oh, God, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so we'll be talking about that play in a little bit. Uh, but as we always start, uh, Michael, would you mind telling us a little bit about your theater background and, uh, as we say, uh, any of the other theater hats that you may wear? Um, yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, in regards to, uh, uh, you know, how I got started in the theater and, you know, how I, how I ended up getting here, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it. Uh, the big thing, the, the big thing is, is that I, I think I was destined to be in the theater in one way or the other. My, uh, my mother's from Great Britain. She went to Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. From the very beginning when we were, grow- you know, we were growing up here in the United States, uh, we would always go to the theater all the time. Uh, she would always take us to plays, whether we grew up in, in Northern California, so we went to ACT. We went to all these different other uh, theaters to see, see shows. And uh, it became, in some ways, part of our lives. And, and, you know, from there, that sort of love of the theater was, uh, you know, once I got into high school, I got the idea of recording getting... in progress. Oh well, thank you. Uh, so um, I apologize. I just realized I forgot to. No, that's start okay. The Zoom recording. Um, <laughs> so when I, when I you know got into high school, I, I started doing shows there, and um, and and then when I got into you know uh, I, I discovered that it was something that I could do. I, I felt very I you know I felt really uh, that I'd found something that I could do uh, at being an actor. And, and so I was really in a big rush to get to the place, the mecca of, of acting at that time. And I read a whole lot of biographies about famous people and they said, go to New York. And so um, I, after a, a year or two of junior college to which I completely blew off, uh, I got a recommendation to the neighborhood playhouse uh, where I studied with Sanford Meisner um, for two years. Uh, it was a seminal experience. Uh, and then once I, once I was done with that, I got out and started doing you know, trying to get acting gigs. And, and of course, um, you know, there's always difficulty with that. And so um, I started, uh, because I wasn't acting as much as I would like, I started writing 
And also I started writing for myself because um, I found going to Samuel French, the, the bookstore where we used to get our plays, so incredibly daunting and overwhelming that I decided I, I should just write my own stuff. And, uh, and when I started auditioning with I think it- that's, that's the way to do it, I think. Yeah, I and think. I think, you know, when I, when I started uh, auditioning for producers and things like that, they were less interested in me than they were in the material. So I knew that I was onto something. Um, oh, so so did, did you did you audition with your own monologues and yes. you know pieces? That's amazing. And I that changed is such my, a flex. I know, but I changed my name. I, I gotcha. was so insecure about it. I was going. <laughs> I, I made up a name because I didn't want to seem so much of an egotist. So um, they said we like that guy, and so um, you know you're okay, but we like that guy. So um, from there, I started writing some short plays and. You know, we, we, you know, I started working with a, a small company in New York that, you know, did, you know, some, you know, showcases, and then we did a full-length play um, uh, that was either off-Broadway off or off-Broadway, depending on the, uh, you know, the demo, not the demographics, but, uh, but the location, but it yeah. was, you know, we, we did this, and it was really good, and then the theater company uh, broke up because, you know, and just a bit of advice, never never your never name your company after the apocalypse because obviously something's <laughs> gonna happen. It was called the Four Writers, Four Writers Theater Company. Don't look it up. I, I hope it doesn't exist any it exist in any form. But the funny thing was is that I was going, why did I do that? Why did I name the company after the apocalypse? Because it was just courting disaster. Um, but what I recognized uh, after I wrote the play um, and I noticed that a lot of people that I, a lot of people I went to school with at the Playhouse, a lot of people that I knew were moving up relatively quickly. And I was sort of staying in the same sort of place. And, um, and you know, I came to this sort of epiphany that um, I, I just didn't know enough. And so I had to go. And so I made the decision to go back to school. Um, I went back to school. Um, you know, my wife and I went to U University of Texas. She got a degree in film and I got a degree in film and just so happens. And then we moved to Los Angeles where I got my degree and um, in screenwriting at UCLA. Now, why did I leave the theater? Um, it sounds so awful when I when I say it, but I'm just going to say this is that I, I was all, I was intent in in. Um, you know, going to get my major in in, yeah. in theater. And I went in and I met the advisor and the advisor had absolutely no interest in telling me about the, telling me about anything. You know, she was so busy getting ready for the show that she was going to be in and hanging out with her friends. And I'm going like, look, I'm here. Just tell me what, what classes I need to do to fill, fulfill the requirement. Um, and then, you know, she was gone. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I was, and I, and I said, well, I'm just going to go over here to the the cinema, the cinema, you know, the, the, the cinema department. And I met with somebody right away. They gave me the schedule. And then, you know, the, the next, the next semester I was, I was taking classes there. I still, I still, you know, retain classes in the theater, but basically I was, I was looking to see about getting a degree in, um, in cinema at uh, UT. And, you know, uh, just to say that UT has a great program in film. And I, you know, I kept on doing things in the theater. I kept on acting in plays. And then when, when we moved to UCLA, um, I, I think I, I just, I became more immersed with, uh, you know, writing, writing screenplays, writing, you know, spec scripts and the rest of that for a while. But I always was drawn back to writing for the theater. Uh, so I went, I haven't, you know, I haven't done much acting over the, over the years. And I think this is basically because I came to the realization that I'm, um, 
I'm one of those people that like spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of time by myself. And, uh, and then a few, and a, and a few short weeks with a group of people. I think this is what Lynn Nottage said about her personality. She basically said, you have to be willing to spend a lot of time by yourself and then a little time with other people. And, uh, and I found sort of, it, it just sort of fit better. So um, I've continued writing. Um, the last play that I wrote before this one, before the special relationship was uh, called um, Signature Photo. It's about a, a woman photojournalist going all around the world, taking these photographs. She takes this uh, really horrific photograph that makes her famous. And then she, the rest of her career, she's sort of living living up or living down this one photograph. It has a big cast. It has like yeah. 12, 10 to 12 people, 16, 16 locations, all the rest of that. And so at the end of that experience, uh, it got some, you know, it won some awards, it, it did okay, but it was very difficult to produce. And that's what people told me. And so I said, well, I'm going to write something. I'm just going to write something. I'm, you know, I'm just going to write something where it's very, very simple, small cast, one to two sets. And, and that's what I set out to do. Um, also, just a side note, um, the reason that I had just uh, basically it's just, you know, you know, lights up, lights down with two characters most of the time is because, you know, I have a Facebook page and and I don't know if it happens to you, but uh, I get advertisements for Masterclass. And uh, I don't know if you get that, but I do. And uh, David, my, my latest, my latest uh, recurring um, ad has been for sign language classes. I think it's a similar uh, uh, thing to ask. I haven't gotten a lot of theater ones though, which is weird because of how much I, you know, my life revolves around theater. Right. Well, David Mamet kept on showing up on my Facebook page and telling me that he could write a play with a pencil and two people in a room. And I was dead, and he was like, and, and I was just going, okay, uh, I get it. I, I think I will try it myself. Uh, and, I, you know, and, and, and so that's how this is sort of the germination of it was kind of a challenge. Um, and, and that's where I, that's, that's, I, I think that's sort of a, a bit of a, um, you know, thumbnail sketch of my, my trajectory as a, as a, as a writer and actor. Um, yeah. And I, and I think sort of the thing is, is sort of, I, I think, the greatest thing that you can do as a, a person in the theater is to sort of discover your sort of level, what really works for you. And, um, and, I, and I keep on going back to, uh, to this again and again. I'm, I'm as I said, I, I, I would love to be an actor and be that sort of sociable person. And I can be a sociable person when I'm like in front of a class or, you know, doing something. But it's, it's, it's really, really difficult for me to, to, to have that to be in rehearsal for an extended amount of time, to bring something to fruition and, and to act and do the run of the show and all the rest of that. I find it really, really difficult. And what I find less difficult is, you know, spending hours and hours by myself playing all the parts. So <laughs> I just, you know, and it's just, it works really well. And, right. um, and, and um, I, I don't know, for some reason it, it's, it's become more difficult over time, mm -hmm. but it's become so much easier being a teacher um, I teach big I can lecture. see that yeah yeah I teach big lecture classes at University of um, uh, California uh, University of California at Riverside and at and at CSUN uh, two universities I teach like cinema and, and theater and acting and all the rest of that it's it's get me in front of a group of people and I'm okay but get me sort of working interpersonally in a way yeah. it becomes a lot more difficult and so I I unfortunately made that uh, discovery rather late, but um, but I made that discovery all the same. And 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 it, and I, I think I sort of like 
being um, being a playwright. You know, I, I, I just I just I think it's a better role for me. Well, I guess my follow up question. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. Oh, my follow up was going to be, you know, I, you just described your previous play, which, uh, you know, sounds sounds like a, a very clear farce. If I'm reading the uh, the oh, no. of it. <laughs> not that was oh, very yeah, much a joke. Very much a joke. I'm sorry. Um, okay. I didn't get but, uh, but yeah, uh, but you know, you know, there's uh, obviously some very heavy subject matter there, and the play we're going to talk about in a little bit uh, has some, you know, I would argue some pretty heavy subject matter. Um, so, do you find that? you're drawn more towards dramatic storytelling or do you branch off into other genres? I, you know, in the beginning I started off with, I started writing comedy. Um, I also wrote, you know, like some comedy plays and screenplays when I was in grad school. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I think um, also because, uh, you know, I've, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little bit older. Um, I just, I'm starting Stop. to. Stop. Yeah. All I'm saying is just, <laughs> I just feel as though there are things that weigh on me and sort of, you know, what I would say is that there is a, an attraction towards dealing with things that, that go, you know, into a darker area. And I, right. and I think that that's, I, I, I'm, I'm not that sort of person outside, uh, clearly, right. but it's, you know, when I'm on my own, it's, it's sort of like I move into that area. Also, I mean, there are levels of concern I mean, uh, signature photo was about you know a moral moral choices that we have. Right. The the play that um, you know the special relationship also deals with something that's you know politically still within a, you know you know still politically part of our part of our yeah. you know part of our consciousness. So um, yeah. So uh, for whatever reason, I, I find myself drawn to darker stories, um, even though I don't consider myself a dark dark person. So. Well, since we're moving in that direction anyway, um, yeah. can you set up for us uh, the basic uh, plot premise of the special relationship um, and then just give us a little intro for the scene that we're about to see and or hear, depending on if people are listening or watching this podcast. Okay, so probably we're going to be watching the opening. I, I would, I think that's going to be the easiest thing to queue up. Uh, basically, the, the, the story is about um, two intelligence um, analysts uh, one for, one who works for the CIA, the other one who worked uh, for uh, MI5 for, for the security service. They've had a longstanding relationship over the past uh, 12 or 13 years um, when uh, they both worked in London. Um, they get together again after a certain amount of time of being separated. And, and the thing is, is that what happens with the night that they spend together is they start going over the actions that they made during the uh, global war on terror, which means the moral choices, the moral choices that they made, the mistakes that they may have made, and sort of what they're able to live with now that uh, the war on terror, now that we've reached the end of the, uh, the Afghanistan war, uh, has ended in, I would guess you would say, abject failure. Um, you know, there's no real, there's not, not a nice way to say, you know, we didn't get what we want out of Afghanistan. It's back to the Taliban. If we're talking about Iraq, I mean, Iraq is basically closely aligned to uh, Iran now. We could not have handled this in, in a worse way possible. So I, I think it's sort of a, a, a coming, um, you know, sort of uh, this sort of reckoning that these characters are having. What prompts this, though, is the release of the, uh, of the torture report in 2014. So this takes place the the weekend before the release of this uh, of this document that basically exposed the CIA 
uh, CIA's, um, you know, handling of detainees. And, um, and, and so this was, a, you know, it's a, a really actually a very big deal. And, um, and the CIA agent comes to uh, make a confession. Well, thank you. Let us take a listen and a watch of the scene. And when we come back, we'll be talking more about the special relationship. Is this the Freedom Advocates thing? Recognizing the voice, Kate turns. The two women face each other for a moment. Yes, it is. But I'm afraid you've missed the program. Does that include the panel discussion as well? I'm afraid so. Kate drags several boxes out from under the table and starts to load them with books and magazines. Perhaps there might be a chance for another discussion. I'm sure there's one to have after all this time. I'm sorry it's taken so long, Catherine. A lot has happened, obviously. You're working again? I had to get a job at some point. But freedom advocates, it's a bit of a departure. From what? From what you were doing before. Which was? Kate carries a box of publications over to the dolly. Intelligence for your government. I've no idea what you're talking about. I was with the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. At least that's where my government said I worked for 15 years. Kate loads another box onto the cart. Had I been involved in a branch that dealt with intelligence, I certainly wouldn't have been hired by Freedom Advocates. They wouldn't appreciate that kind of experience? No, they wouldn't. Which in this instance means you ha have the advantage. Do you really think I'd burn you? Who knows what you would or wouldn't do? What are you now? Assistant to the Deputy Director. Wow, you keep up. I read. It's a job. It's a lot more than that. Your seventh floor, executive branch. I saw you on the television a few weeks ago giving a report to a committee on the threats of cyber terrorism. You're in the public eye now. I wouldn't consider 30 minutes on C-SPAN being in the public eye. But you're becoming a known quantity in Washington. Kate fills the last box with brochures. And here you are all bright and shiny in your smart-looking suit. No, I can't buy my clothes at Urban Outfitters anymore. Wearing a t-shirt for a band I'm old enough to have actually seen. The girl I knew could still bring it off. You, I'm not so sure. Kate sets the last box on the dolly. I was uh, sorry to hear about your father. He was sick for a long time, it was expected. Kate marches behind the table and pulls the plug on the monitor. The screen goes dark. I wanted to be there for the funeral. But you weren't. Kate puts the monitor on the dolly. I'm sorry. Kate says nothing. She picks up the laptop from the counter and slips it into her bag. I liked him, you know. I remember that first time when we all met for the lunch at the Travelers Club, dressed in that saddle row suit with the university tie. He cut quite a handsome figure, even as an older gentleman. Yes, he did. Kate pulls the skirting and tablecloth off the counter. She drops them both on the back of the reception area. A real foreign serviceman, really knew geopolitics. The power plays, 
the national interests of each country. That's all very nice of you to say, Jessica, but you do see I'm rather busy right now. I have to be out of here before the venue charges me for another hour. Uh, the realities of working for a non-profit. As opposed to the realities of working for a bloated bureaucracy. It does pay better. So I remember. Jess moves to a poster display and breaks it down. I'll oh. do that. You said you needed to get out of here. So let's get this done. And then what, Jessica? Really? It's been a year. Kate kicks out the legs from the folding table. With no communication at all for seven months. Jess puts the poster and stand on the dolly, then tries to help Kate with the table. I'll get the other end. Please don't. It'll be easier. That's not the- If we do this together. I don't want your help, all right? Okay. Kate carries the table to the rear of the room and leans it against the back wall. I'm sorry I had to go dark for a while, Catherine, but things got complicated. Right, because of your job. No, because of yours. Kate turns back to Jess. What did you think would happen, Catherine? You working for these people. I didn't think about it one way or the other. Maybe you should have. You're saying it's my fault you ghosted me. No, but you do understand how difficult it made things. Kate breaks down the second poster display and carries it over to the dolly. Hey, look at this event tonight. Victims of the War on Terror. There were victims, Jess. Yes, there were. But a discussion about victims always leads to a discussion of who is responsible. They don't always go after your country. They go after it enough. And yet here you are. Kate picks up her coat and puts it on. It wasn't easy, believe me. I had to wait for an opportunity, a strategy meeting at the London office. It could have been handled with a conference call, but I insisted on an FTF. And how did you handle tonight? Did you leave your mobile at the hotel so you wouldn't be tracked? Take several forms of public transport to avoid being followed? Use side streets you would get picked up by CCTV? What if I had to do all those things? Jess moves closer to Kate. I'd have to wonder why you'd go through the trouble. You really have to wonder? Jess leans in to kiss Kate. I had to see you. Another kiss. I always have to see you. Jess then steps back. So who really has the advantage? I don't know. But I suppose we'll have to find out. The two women gaze at each other, trying to gauge the other's real intentions. The lights fade, blackout, end of scene. And we're back. Um, so, Michael, as we were talking about prior to that scene, uh, obviously this play is a barrel of laughs. Um, yes. <laughs> no, uh, no I, and you know, like I said, I, I thought it was interesting what you said earlier, because you kind of, you tapped into a question that I, myself will ask a lot of playwrights um you have a very clear idea of the difference between screenplays and scripts and one of the questions we ask all the time is you know you know we have our general feedback on what you know whether or not character arcs and motives 
makes mm-hmm. sense or if we the audience or the readers are left with any questions but one of the kind of black and white questions we always ask is is this play producible yeah and there are so many plays that i have read over the past five years and i say this very kindly i'm not you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not yucking someone's yum but i you know we get you know we, uh, we have seen some scripts before uh, in fact, one that I was actually almost compelled, uh, you know, there, there was one I, I read a little bit ago that I was, I enjoyed very much and would like to see it produced because it looks like it can be produced in kind of a stylistic way. But it's definitely a lot of characters, different place, every scene. Um, you know, we've read plays before where there are 12 characters on stage at any given time and you realize, well, in a film you just cut away, you do the close-up of Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, and it doesn't matter that those other actors are there. But on stage, you have to imagine that 12 people are just standing in a room waiting. Um, and also what I, what I think is very interesting is uh, th- there is one playwright in particular, um, and I, I feel very bad that I can't remember her name offhand, but what, it, one of my biggest feedbacks, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of places and location changes and you know the flow just feels like this would be better suited as a film and when i interviewed her for the podcast she told me oh i originally wrote this as a screenplay and adapted it to be a play and now i'm readapting it to be a screenplay so i'm like oh you know (laughs) so so my first takeaway from this piece that's a long roundabout way to say that i definitely got that impression that you were very consciously uh you know, making this a producible piece it's i believe it's it's three characters i believe yeah there are three characters um and most of the time it's just two uh the the third character shows up uh twice uh for you know at some point uh, in the, the near the middle of the play and then shows up at the very very end and the rest of the time it's just these two characters and part of the intention was producibility there there are a couple of motives motives that i had producibility was really really important the other thing that was really, really important to me that I that I really create some really terrific roles for the people that were going to be playing this. And this was something that was important to me as well. I, I always go with the idea is that, you know, um, you know, uh, having grown up in the entertainment business, the sort of, you know, dearth of, of really good roles. And this may be different now, but, you know, when I was an actor, there was seemed to be a dearth of roles for women who were getting into their like, you know, late 30s and early 40s. And it, and, what, and, and also the thing is, is that, um, I like the, you know, I like the material, and and it drew me this uh, situation between these two people. The, um, you know, drew me to the to it, and I wanted to keep them in the same room long enough for the truth to come out. And I think that that was the fun thing about it, which was, you know, you keep people in the same room long enough, they're going to start telling the truth to each other eventually. And um, I didn't intend it to be a well-made play or you know, uh, the most producible play, although I, I was cognizant of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I just felt I needed to keep these people where they could not escape from each other and they had to actually talk to each other because that way they would get down to the, the real root of the relationship. So uh, those were the motives that I had. Um, and yeah, and, and it's eminently producible. It only has one set. The other one is a suggested set. Yeah. And so, yeah, you could easily just put it in front of a front of a curtain and it would work out just fine. There, it reminds me a lot of uh, you know, the theater that my partner and I work at. 
very frequently is a uh, candlelight dinner theater in Delaware, who, uh, as you can imagine, were hit doubly hard over the past year because not only are they a performance venue, but they are also technically a restaurant. So yeah. the two things that you can't have <laughs> during a pandemic. So they reopened this year. Um, and the first show they did was a play called Clever Little Lies. That is, um, it's a, it's definitely a similar concept in a sense of it is people in a room together that have absolutely no choice but to talk to each other, maybe about right. subjects they don't want to talk about. But that's also the bulk of it takes place in a family living room, but the opening scene is at the the locker room of a tennis court and the way that was created it was very clearly it was just two of the set pieces from the living room just turned around and it did not take up the whole stage at all it was very Mm -hmm. much just centered um you got the clear you know idea that you were watching something on a stage and then as soon as those set pieces went back suddenly you were in a living room Right. Um, so I definitely, and that was something that came up in the feedback is somebody, I think, uh, I, I want to say it was Lauren, um, but somebody, you know, somebody had pointed out that like, yeah, it's mostly one set, uh, that, you know, that first scene, I don't know how intricate you could get with that. And I was like, you know, we, we kind of all decided, well, you don't have to get that intricate with it because it is that one location, uh, right. it's at the airport, right? Uh, no, it's actually at the friend's house. It's um, that's, oh, that's sorry. No, yeah, you're that's right. it's a uh, it's a Quaker meeting meeting place. It's also mm-hmm. where you know where peace activists usually end up going in London, and it's uh, the reception area. So, how I saw it, you know, how I envisioned it is you could just have it in front of this, have it in front of the curtain, yeah. have a single just table, a desk. yeah, yeah, and with the the table with the you know the display uh, mm-hmm. for uh, freedom advocates and 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 just the people to play in front of it. Once they're done, push everything out, open the curtain to to uh, to show the set. And so I've I'm, definitely I've done those shows before, and that is always a fun reveal. I was in a production of Mame uh, many years ago, where um, it was back when I was in high school, actually, where mm-hmm. the you know Mame's living room and you know foyer areas always has to be grand, has the big staircase, and, for sure, you know everything. Um, and the first scene where it's Agnes taking Patrick to Auntie Bame's house, it's just done in front of the curtain. And I remember like a friend of mine who was a little older than me at the time said he saw it. And like in that opening moment, got the impression of like high school theater, it's going to be, you know, kids in whatever costumes walking across the curtain. And then that curtain opened and he was just like, (laughs) <laughs> just blow it away at the size of the set uh, <laughs> so that that's the kind of thing i i'm also a director so when mm-hmm. i read these scripts i as much as i want to be in the moment of the story right there's always a little bit in the back of my head of like how would i stage this how would i create the set how would i create that and i just i got a little tickle in my brain thinking about the curtain opening and all oh, right how imagined or real you want to make uh that full set yeah i I think that a lot in in the the you know i take you know one of the one of the one of the plays that i really really liked that you know i didn't base it on but it's one of my favorite plays um that came out a a while ago but it's um skylight by um david Hare, 
Um, and it has like one sort of like, it has a, you know, a council flat. Okay. And so basically it's just your basics of, a, of an apartment and all the, all the work goes on in this, in this one place. And I, I was really attracted to that. And I wanted to just also sort of take the time to also give the scenic designer an idea of building a set that would actually look lived in, which I thought would be really, really nice. And actually somebody, you know, you can, you know, as I describe in the, as I describe in the, um, in the introduction, I mean, the, it shows the progression of time. You know, you have, you know, you have some albums, you have some CDs, you know, you have some other things, you have a flat screen TV. So you can tell that somebody has lived there for a long time. And you can also sort of guess about the person's age. So you can get a better indication of what it is. And I think it's also great because, um, you know, the actors are always on there. And this is kind of the thing that I really like about it is that there isn't any downtime. So there's no time for the actor to get distracted and, and get out of the piece. It is just, it just moves, moves along through the entire piece until we get a, you know, the, the two sort of scene breaks. And I think that that's really helpful to the actor. Um, I mean, honestly, it moved, it moved for us yeah. in the reading as well. I mean, it was one of the, it did not feel like, you know, the, it it felt a lot shorter actually when we got to because of how quickly and how uh you know rapidly it moves um which again just to kind of you know ring a bell in the direction of our actors you know considering so many of these as we talked about in the break so many of these are cold readings it is yeah. i was i was even finding myself at times you know trying to keep up with their speed and you know quickness it you know it felt like they had these characters like in their bones which i suppose is the testament of well-written and well-rounded characters well that's i i mean that's that's nice of you to say um i i always get the idea of of the idea of as as you know lines in a play are in a you know i'm ripping off from aaron sorkin here but um that uh the lines that the dialogue is like a song and and so the thing is is that you know, you hear sort of the back and forth going on and it just, and if it, and if it just, it's in some ways when I, when I work with actors, you know, as a, as a teacher or whatever, I always say with some place, you kind of just get on the train and then it, it'll just carry you. And if the, if the, especially if the writing is just really, really, you know, is really, really back and forth and it has that rhythm, find that rhythm and, and you don't have to do quite as much work. And that was what I was trying to do with this piece as well. Um, because it's just so much fun, you know, with the ideas that you're just boom, 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 back and forth, and you hit that rhythm, and you don't have to, how can I say, act out the lines as much, you, in some ways, you obviously act the intention and all the rest of it, but the thing is, you just catch, the, it's, it's literally like catching a train, getting onto the train, and then you just, and then you just ride with it, and, um, and, and when it works, it's just kind of glorious, you know. I mean, I, I would argue that it definitely works yeah. in this instance. Oh, thank you um and i you know like i said i was you know it's it's such a special moment for me to be able to you know be a part of these readings there there was a point where pre-pandemic mm -hmm. was never a question because i had the microphone uh so i was at every reading uh once we switched over to zoom uh there and we got a much wider pool of actors because we weren't factoring in the travel time to my dining room table um right. you know the schedules opened up and we we got a lot more opportunities but unfortunately uh that just meant that my schedule did not always align uh with being able to be present live 
at the readings. So being able to be there in the moment and watching those actors, you know, discover these moments, discover these words uh, is something truly, truly remarkable. And I, I'm really excited uh, to find out any more information on where this piece is going. Uh, and I, I mean, I guess I should ask at this point, um, is what is the, do you have a current trajectory for this piece? Um, right now, I mean, after after listening to the reading uh, uh, a number of times, I, I am going to be doing some some. I've already started some minor edits to it because there are certain things that were <clears throat> that were brought up during the you know the during the the comment section that I, I really thought needed to, to be addressed. There's a couple other things that I want to see. I, I just there are a couple of moments. Um, I think Jess is the very difficult character because she's the one that really you know she. She's bringing the news. She has the revelation. She's the one that was involved in in detention centers and the rest of that. Um, I wanted to actually have some place where we we see more evidence of what the relationship was, and I think that that's really important. This is a I really wanted to create a really, um, and I don't want to say mature relationship, but a relationship that's that still re retains a lot of passion, but also at the same time, you know, they know each other. They, they, they're, they're used to each other's rhythms. They're used to each other being around. They have a repartee that, that works out really well that you have when only when you, when, when you spend a lot of time with someone. So I'm working on that a little bit. It's not a big rewrite or anything like that. The other thing is, is that <clears throat> I'm, I'm sort of, there's one element that I've never been able to put in the play that I really want to put into the play and I've not been able to do it. It's just a little detail and it's just, it's just for me. So and I don't know what's going to happen after that. I'm I'm starting to submit I it out. Those, I love those moments, by the way, when you have yeah. those very. I mean, I I have them uh, as an actor. Like there's right. uh, there's def or and actually even as a director. I mean, there there are definitely there are definitely moments where I will direct a student to deliver a line or do an action in a certain way, and it's foreign to them. But I'm like. There are at least sixteen parents in the audience that mm -hmm. will get this, and oh, even yeah. if nobody does, I will get it, and it will make me smile. I actually, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think that I think for me, it's there's, it's just one moment that I, it's just one little detail that from all the research that I did on the on this piece is just, it's just something that I, I wanted so badly to put in put into the play. Um, it's it's just about sort of a, a CIA protocol thing, and 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 the thing is, it's not even that important. But the idea is that it just it just it really helped me in writing the play, and I feel really bad that it's not included in it. So um, hopefully, I can get that in. But basically, what what I'm doing now is I'm finishing it up, um, and and you know finishing up the next draft, getting ready for a whole raft of submissions. Um, you know, I I haven't really thought about getting something together out here, but. As you know, as the as the pandemic recedes even more, I think I met that may be um, something that I may be thinking in the future. I don't have uh, you know a, you know somebody who's going to produce it quite yet, but it's only been out um, for a few months actually. So yours was one of the first, not one of the first. Oh, wow. I mean, within the first flight, of, it was one of the first. Uh, in in, I've only been sending it out for about three months. Wow. So, um, so yeah. I, well, I am honored that we got to be oh, one of the first looky loos at the script. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, uh, it was just a really, really great experience. I really, really enjoyed it. And um, 
yeah there's nothing better than hearing a play being read by actors you know and yeah. and it's just one of those things that i really really like so yeah and thank you it was just it was just a great experience and Absolutely. Uh, hopefully we'll see uh, hopefully we'll <laughs> see how it goes but um yeah it was uh yeah and thank you for and i guess i get a feeling that things things are kind of winding up uh in regards to the uh the podcast but i, I do want to <laughs> thank you um absolutely yeah and, and and are you going to do that last question thing or are we, are we i i am just to just kind of wind this down uh yeah uh, especially considering the topic of the play was a little heavier um so i'm going to throw out one that i've never thrown out before okay. um and i i don't know how this will go but i'm just gonna roll the dice and go with it um if the special relationship were to be adapted into a musical, mm -hmm. what composer or what musical theater presence uh, would be your top choice to adapt it? Hold on one second. Uh, sorry about that. <clears throat> that's quite all right. Actually, actually, that's uh, okay. I have to take that call in a few moments. Um, it would definitely be Stephen Sondheim. I, funny, I was gonna say I was gonna suggest the same thing. <laughs> okay, hold on one second. I am so sorry. Can, can you can you turn off uh, the the recording one second? I just yeah, yeah I'll just pause it for a second. Okay. Give me one second, because I have to take this call. No worries. One second later. Yes, it would be Steven Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, you know, I have great memories of Stephen Sondheim's, you know, assassins, and also, I mean, you know, uh, Sweeney Todd, and, and and just, you know, and 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 how how Sondheim keeps on, you know, showing up again. I, I recently saw. Uh, marriage story on netflix um oh know, doesn't he sing uh, at the uh end, being alive yeah <laughs> oh and it's just and you just go and and it's and um it's just this amazing moment and you just go wow that that's an amazing song and it sort of pulls together this whole this whole relationship that that is now yeah. breaking apart and i thought uh, you know i mean obviously this person is is one of the greatest writers of you know of a of the century and the thing is is that um you know i teach theater i'm just going to say this really quick um and you know when i was growing up i did a lot of musicals i was i never thought that i was going to be a musical person obviously because I, I don't sing right. that well but i find myself really being drawn to musicals in a, in a really really powerful way mm -hmm. when i'm especially now that i'm teaching because how much in some ways it replicates the theater of the original theater which means we have a chorus, we have we have people singing, we have like music and all the rest of that, which really goes back to a. I, I think it hits us on more of a spiritual level than 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 regular plays do. And I and I think that I, I you know I especially go back to uh, Dear Evan Hansen and just that that play just slays me. It just kills me. Um, and I it, it it kills me from the very first song in a way that it would take hours. You know, it would take hours of character building to get to. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. sidebar, the opening song of that show is actually one of my favorite songs in the show, oh, really? which makes me very disappointed. Uh, I'm, I still want to see the movie. I'm still excited, but I'm very disappointed uh, that anybody have a map will not be in that film. So, yeah, yeah. I, but I appar just... Apparently it exists as a, um, Special from what people. I have heard, it no, it exists as like, when they're at the school they're at like a pep rally or something and it's like an easter egg it's like the song that the band is playing 
And oh, I'm like, eh, I'll take it. But it's one of my favorite openings of a musical. It's, 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 um, yeah. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, what's that? <clears throat> it actually is in my, um, my, I have sort of an introduction to theater, introduction to acting class that has like 90 students. And it's still one of the three or four, uh, three or four plays that I, that I have the students read. And it almost always goes over really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I make them listen to the soundtrack. And they really, I, I think, um, I mean, it's a play that uh, that uh, my students can actually really identify with, and I, and I think that that, and and it's also because it's a musical because it just sort of yeah. it's a it mainlines you into uh, your emotions where other plays have to take a lot more work. Anyway, uh, does that answer your question, uh, Sondheim? <laughs> yeah. I would love to see the Sondheim version of the special relationship. I uh, I mean, I would too. Just you know, if for no other reason than to just. That's the only energy I can think of that can match the snappiness and the the back and forth of the dialogue that you've created in this piece. But I think if you're going to do that, it would completely blow out the, I mean, you wouldn't be able to do it in an entire room. You'd have to like go off and show the meeting and all the rest yeah. of these things. And and I have a whole history about these two characters about, you know, um, I have a whole history about them that also sort of, you know, filters back to what is going on at that moment. The idea is that you would, if you're going to do a musical about it, it probably couldn't stay in that room and you'd probably have to blow it out and, and actually tell a, the larger story of this relationship. We can get, we can get Sondheim on the line after this call and we'll, yeah. We'll start uh, eh, awkward jump in from editing Robert here. Uh, just a reminder, this episode was recorded in fall of 2021 about a month and a half before we lost greatest composer of our generation, Stephen Sondheim. So that makes this part of the interview just a little bit tricky to listen to now. Uh, but I still stand by my comments that uh, this show is very well suited for Sondheim style. And hopefully the next Stephen Sondheim will pick it up someday. Anyway, back to the end of the episode. Actually, did you see documentary now? There's a. There's I was a, just going to bring that up. Actually, it uh, is it genius. Is, that, here's that, the that, thing: it's I. The, I love documentary now for the same reason I love Schmigadoon, which yeah. is it. It would have been so easy for them to just do a parody of musicals and leave it at that. It's right. the hyper specificity of knowing Sondheim and knowing not only those songs but the original documentary like you know yeah. the the outfit that Paul Appel is wearing is the same outfit that Elaine Stritch is wearing and there's a point in that original documentary where I I want to say it's I don't think it's Sondheim I think it might be James Lapine or something but someone says that she sounds flaccid and I'm like it's yeah I gotta I go is that. one of my favorite songs <laughs> it's actually and actually I think it's just it's such a great it, the they walk the line in documentary now, they really walk the line between, um, you know, they come really, really close to where it just goes over from parody just to sort of making fun, where it just sort of walks the line and you go, yeah, I would kind of like to see that musical. You know, in some ways it's almost that good. And- Oh, um, I, I, I heard they basically, in writing that episode, like I heard that like Seth Meyers and John Mulaney essentially like wrote an entire musical. <laughs> like, I, I just think it's great. and And I- and I and I and it's just um, yeah I we we watch it every every like couple of months and all the rest of that and and, so and the original documentary is pretty amazing yeah. too 
Uh, in fact, never... I think I actually, as as we wind down, I think I'm going to go listen to Christmas tips. Okay. <laughs> but uh, what I would, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, it's just so it's it's actually it's really too bad that that project for Broadway, you know, filming the the cast singing the songs was just kind of a one off. It would have been yeah. really nice to see other things happen. Anyway, uh, I. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna i guess we're calling it a day i suppose uh, i don't want to i don't want to keep you away from uh you, you've you've given me a lot of time today uh especially it's the longest well, pre-interview yeah. i've done in this podcast well, in a very all, long time all, well all i'm gonna say is this is just all all you know all you know all difficulties will will pass i think you're going to be fine you're very you're very lucky to have somebody with you who supports you at the same time i think that's really a really great thing and um It'll 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 pass. I, I think I much. think and I think things will work out just fine. And um, yeah. Uh, that being said, um, that's that's all I got. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I have a lot more. I mean, <laughs> I took I took a crap load. Of, I, I wrote a whole bunch of notes <laughs> my entire life and my entire life in the theater. Um, see, this is what ha you you know. It's like I just go. Oh, I have to super prepare. Um, yeah, it's it's different. <laughs> um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not in the mood. I'm not at that age where I feel like, oh, I'm just going to wing it. Uh, it I, I will say it is, it is, it is a really good thing to see as a podcast host and an interviewer uh, when my voice makes up far less of the episode than my guest. It is very comforting because I can just sit back and <laughs> it's like whenever, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, it's like whenever Conan O'Brien goes on a talk show. Uh, Colbert is always like, I haven't said a thing in the past 10 minutes. <laughs> I've just sat back and let you tell the story about your horse. Yeah, and I, and I think, I, I, I thank you again for the opportunity, and I, I thought that this was really great. And, and as I said, the, the reading was really, really helpful. And, uh, and thank you again, and, and thank you to your, your partner as well, and thank you, you know, um, and hopefully we'll see what happens with this script. But um, that being said, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure talking with you too, Michael. Uh, right. So thank you again for uh, listening. Uh, as of now, our submissions are closed, uh, but once they open up, you can send in your plays to submissions at elephantroomproductions.com. Uh, just keep watching our social media for that. We'll have an announcement of when those submissions are open again. Uh, but for the time being, as always, I am your host, Robert Jean Coleccio, signing off.